Environment. Host Lewis Alvesland with Mr. Brian Carey. Hey, if you got a question or comment, give us a call. We sure appreciate hearing from you. Number's 291-6901. And use the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. We sure wish we would. Always enjoy hearing from people all around town, all around the country, and with all the right, around the world. There you go. With the right phone code, you can reach us from anywhere around the world. And last week, we had a good bit of calls. I guess yeah. we, we had about 10 calls. So that makes the show flow a whole lot better. Oh, yeah. Otherwise, you and I can see exactly. Jack and John <laughs> bore the devil out of everybody. <laughs> That's not a warning or anything. I'm just That's saying. It, yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. It's the way it works out. And like most weeks, we generally try to put together some kind of a little agenda, just where we've got something to talk about between the callers. Sure. And you never limit it to that topic. Anything you might have on your mind, you give us a call. We're glad to try to chat you up. We've got all our lines wide open. We'll try to get you going or get you stopped, whatever the case may be. Whatever the case may be. When it comes to a car, both of <laughs> those are pretty darn important. I think one's a little more important than the other. There you, know? you go. I'd, I'd rather <laughs> stop than get going. If I can't get going, I'm going to be okay. There you, know? you go. We were talking just before the show about fluid levels in cars. And uh-huh. This is one of those things that people who are kind of maintenance conscious, they may check their own fluid levels. And those from time to time can drop sure now certain fluid levels dropping are not too too big of a deal maybe but for the most part if a fluid level goes down it's a sign of a problem or a leak a leak there's something going on for instance when your brake fluid goes down it could be that the pads are wearing and as the pads start to wear they get thinner so the pistons come out takes more fluid to fill the, the, the void behind the piston that's right so you could kind of say that's normal to a point. To a point. If it goes down slowly. Right. If it goes down quickly, then you've got a leak somewhere. Right. And the thing with brake fluid is it may not be an external leak. Mm-hmm. It could be an internal leak. That's right. You may not see it. And so, therefore, you've got to gauge you know, how fast is this brake fluid leaving the cylinder. Mm-hmm. And that's where regular checks. Someone who's familiar with their underhood mm-hmm. checks it every so often. They will spot these kind of things. Drivers who kind of drive around till the light comes on, they're, they're probably, probably not, not going to make They have yeah. no idea when this problem started. All they know is the light is on, so it's low. So now you have to check for every possible contingency. Sure. For instance, a guy comes in, brake light is on. Well, we don't know if this all leaked out over the last two years because the pads have worn or, or if it did all down. go out in the last two weeks. Right. So on that particular car, we're going to have to check more things. You're going to need to pull all four wheels. Right. You check got- for fluid leaks. Look, you have to pull the brake drums if it has drum brakes on the mm-hmm. back. Look at the cylinders, see if they're leaking. Take the boots pull off the, the boots, cylinders. Pull the boots back. If there's any liquid in the boot, the cylinder is leaking. That boot is a dust boot only. It is not designed to hold the fluid in. Right. There's a cup seal behind it that holds. Uh, every vehicle has a rubber hose from the body of the vehicle down to the component. The, yeah, say it be but, an axle. Right, because those move relative to the structure of the car. Right, and you have to have some flexibility there because a hard line would just break. Right. So you want to check those lines. You want to look for anything on those lines. Run your hand on it. If the rubber comes off real easy, mm-hmm. that line is deteriorating real fast. Yeah. Now, and of course, there's the leaks that you just can't see. And we'll get to those we'll after talk the talk. To those, but let's get to the line. We got Curtis online. Good morning, Curtis. Hello. Good morning. I appreciate the show and listen to every Saturday. I well, don't thank you. Me much, though. Okay, I got a 72 Super Beetle, okay. and I'm about ready to get that going again, but mm-hmm. I've lost the only key that I have. Okay. So okay. how do I get the lock cylinder out of that so I can replace that? Let me ask key? you this, Curtis. Is the lock, is the key to the door and the key to the ignition the same? 
There's one key for the uh, call. Uh, they probably not because I had it, I had it replaced uh, a few years ago, and as I remember, they weren't the same. You yeah, know? I hadn't worried about locking the door to be honest. With well, you, the you reason know? I ask is because the door cylinder is a lot easier to get out. You can take it out, bring it to a locksmith, and he can make a key from there. Right. Most I'm not 100 percent certain on a Volkswagen Super Beetle. It's just been so long since I've worked on one, but. Most of them, you put the key in, you turn it, and you have to remove the steering wheel. There's going to be some kind of a pin that can only be pushed if the key is in there and you can turn it. Now, if you don't right. have a key, then obviously you can't do that. Now, some of the older ones, you mentioned taking the steering wheel off. Mm-hmm. Some of the older ones, after you got the wheel off and the lock plate off, you could there was a bolt that you took out right. that, had, that held the cylinder in. I'm not real sure on the Volkswagen, though. It's been... And it's been yeah, I had years and seen years. a Volkswagen Beetle or Super Beetle in probably thirty, forty years. But right. I would contact a locksmith. They've got books that are going to go back to that period. Some of them are right. going to have a code that you can get like off the cylinder housing that you can see without taking it out. Right. Worst case scenario, they can do what they call reading the tumblers. That's where they get in with a magnifying glass and a pick, and they can lift them up and. That's a pretty skilled task. you got to have a sure enough locksmith to do that. The average key maker is not going to be able to do it. And it will probably be relatively expensive, but in some cases, that's the only option. Now, the other case is if you don't have uh, – if that one key only fits the cylinder, it's possible to go in and drill the cylinder out, pull it out, just destroy the cylinder, get a new cylinder, a new key. That may right. be less expensive if, if it comes to that. But I would consult with a locksmith on that, not just a guy who can make keys in a hardware store, but a real locksmith. Right, and, these professionals, and I went with them a few years back there, mm-hmm. and that's what it took on the last time I remember. But I may yet find the key, you know. But, well, uh, yeah, if you can find the key, that's great. But if yeah. you can't, you know, the system, if it were easy to defeat, a thief could defeat it. So right. they got to necessarily try to make it hard to defeat. And those old right. ones weren't near as bad as the newer ones. The newer ones, the cylinders are hardened. They're really difficult to drill. Some of them right. got electronics in them. Some have electronics right. in them, but on something that old, you know, it should be it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. Yes, sir. Well, I, I tell you, I appreciate you helping me here this morning, and I want to ask you one more question you about uh, how is that little dog doing that you got up there? That's oh, she's still, up to the shop. <laughs> still doing fine, man. Foxy's 15 years old. <laughs> oh, she, really? Well, still, yeah. I thought he was getting up in age. Oh, yeah. She's know. still rock and rolling. <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate you right. help that. Both Curtis, thanks, right, man. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We were talking just a little bit about fluids and fluid levels that go down. Right. And on breaks, when you cannot find an external leak, it's always prudent to pull the master cylinder from the brake booster mm-hmm. and look inside the brake booster. If you've got a major loss of fluid 90% of the time, that's where it's going to go. Particularly if you've got a car with dual brakes, which is most of the newer ones, and the back cylinder is empty, and the front still has a little bit in it. Now, for vehicles that didn't have a vacuum brake booster, Mm -hmm. you'll have to go inside the car and look underneath the dash dash to the back of the master cylinder because I've seen them leak there. They'll run down the firewall and under the carpet. Right. And you won't see it. You will not see it because it's under the carpet, under the matting and all right. that. It, so it, That matting and that insulation soaks up a lot of liquid before well, it that, shows. Most of it has like a plasticized coating on it to keep any water that got into the car from coming through to the carpet. So you could dump quite a bit of fluid under that carpet and before not really know it's it. there. But that's one thing that you always have to look for. Now, the killer about that is once fluid gets inside of a brake booster, the booster is done. Right. Because it has a neoprene or rubber 
Diaphragm. Diaphragm inside. Mm -hmm. It's got vacuum on either side of it. So when a corrosive liquid like brake fluid gets on this rubber, it's going to start to deteriorate it, and that's going to continue on. When it does, vacuum starts to leak through the diaphragm, and it will literally suck the seals out. Right out of the brand. You can put a brand-new master cylinder on there, and it'll last about a week, if that, maybe a couple days. Yep. And it's going to go bad again. So just whenever you're losing fluid from the master cylinder and it's running into the booster, you really have to figure on a new master cylinder and And a new booster. Right. And there's just no other way. That's the cheapest way by far. Oh, yeah. Some of those are are fairly easy to replace. Mm -hmm. Some of them are a nightmare. It just depends on the vehicle, the make of the vehicle. Well, particularly on the newer stuff where you have the mechanical hydraulic sort of boosters like on some of your Toyota units Uh where the ABS, trash control, and all that's built into that big booster unit. Right. Those can be very, very, very pricey in the $2,500 range pretty easily. And some of your vehicles have the dash that actually builds over the the front of the engine Mm -hmm. and the the master and the firewall and everything are way, way back underneath it. Those take a lot of labor to get into to, to replace. That's right. So anyway, if you're losing fluid, don't know where it's going on brake fluid, that's the first place you want to check after you've done a general inspection is to go in, pull that mouth cylinder back, look inside the booster, and make sure you're not losing fluid. Any fluid at all. Yep, that's it. We're going to go ahead and take a quick little break. We'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Plan to motor west. Travel my way. Take the highway. That's the best. Tell if my brand new bow and mirror are a good match. Yes. As I gaze into my crystal ball, I see him over a grill. And now he's on a couch watching football, eating a large plate of meat. Meat? Yes. No veggies. Now I see him on a boat, fishing, and then on a deer stand. Fishing and hunting? Yes. I'm afraid so. Wouldn't it be great if you could look into your car's future to see the road ahead? At Agco, you can. Take your car to Agco once a year for a general inspection. It's the best way to catch any potential problems that could lead to bigger repairs down the road. Ah, it looks like all this man wants to do is watch sports, hunt, fish, and grill. Oh, Madame Babushka, I love all those things. He sounds perfect. Thank you so much. Huh, c'est la vie. My work here is done. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. You just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alexander, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Give us a call, 291-6901. And we've got Wallace has been patiently holding. Good morning, Wallace. Uh, good morning, Lewis. I think I already know your answer um, <laughs> to my question, but I just wanted to confirm it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm calling, actually, from under my car, where I'm changing the oil on my car right now. Mm-hmm. But my wife just got a new car. And, I mean, like, I think it had less than 10 miles on it. Mm-hmm. And with it is the first two services. Mm-hmm. And they said, first, 5,000 miles, we do not change the oil. We'll change it at 10,000. And maybe the newer engines are better than the old ones. Eh. But nope. I remember <laughs> the days where nope. at 1,500 miles, you did your first right. oil change to get rid of the junk in it. You well, know? you know, I just bought Elaine a new Camry and the same thing. When it got about 2,000 miles, I went ahead and changed the oil in it. Right. And I put a lot of highway miles on mine. So, you know, miles are not really a good judge by themselves without taking into account what kind of miles. The further you drive, the longer you can go as far as your normal oil changes. But I would probably change that all between 1,500 and 2,000 miles the first time around, depending on how you drive. 
and right. then I'd be changing, you know, three to five thousand miles there out. You got to remember when any manufacturer gives you a recommendation on all changes, a couple of things are in play. Number one, they're trying to make the car look very maintenance unintensive. In other words, this car doesn't take much to maintain it. So they push them out as far as they can. Number two, and probably more important, they're in a the business of selling new cars. Now, you can push a car to 10,000-mile all changes if you want to throw it away when you get to 100,000 miles. I don't want to do that. I want my car, I want to be driving it at 250,000 miles. And when you go to an engineer and you say, how often do I have to change all? Well, for how long has the car got to last? Well, right. it's got to last 100,000 miles. Okay, well, yeah, push 10,000 miles. It's got to last 250,000 miles. Okay, we're going to change it to 3,000 miles. You know, I mean, it's it's just engineering the way it is. You, you, net, you never get anything for free. When you trade one off, you can get the other. But the problem is the other one that you're going to get, the engine wear, the oil leaks, and all that will far, far, far outweigh any money you'd ever save by extending your oil changes. Right. Now, I agree. And I said even when they say, oh, it's synthetic. And while it's more expensive, it is. it's still of a lot less expensive than the result of not changing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And see, synthetic oil is great for a lot of things. It's required in that particular car. However, it's not a reason to go longer because synthetic is a right. much better detergent. It's going to get dirtier faster than regular oil, and it has nothing to do with how you use the car. Short trips, you're building moisture in the crankcase. The synthetic oil is going to try to hold it, but it can't hold it any better than any other oil could. So the moisture is going to start attacking the metal, and you end up with big, big, big problems. If you don't change, if you don't drain the oil, you're not getting the moisture out because right. it's a liquid. It goes right through right the filter. filter. Yeah. So. Unless I'm you with you. Get I, it real hot for a long period. Of that's time exactly right. And then you can no. boil it out, and you know the PC system will clean it. And but again, most people don't drive like that. Most people drive right. three to five miles at a time in right. traffic. In traffic, <laughs> Baton Rouge that's traffic. Right. Yeah. That, that's how this new one's going to be. Mine, yeah. I, three days a week, I'm going to New Orleans and back. Well, mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. I mm-hmm. mean, that's great. Yeah. So yeah, I'd, yep. I'd be changing that all around fifteen hundred, two thousand miles, depending on the way she drives, and then every three to five after that. As I expected, but I wanted to confirm it. <laughs> there you go. I think you even mentioned at one time you worked at a engine assembly or something. Yep, yep. many years ago. all the filings and things like that. Oh, absolutely. Out of an engine. Yeah, you know? I mean, they take an air hose and blow, the, blow that block out, but it's certainly not clean by any stretch of the imagination. Right. Yep, I agree. Well, thank you, Lewis. Hi, Miss Wallace. Have a great weekend. Thanks. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, we're going right back to our phone lines with Mike. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Yes, sir. Recently, my wife and I bought a 2014 Hyundai, mm-hmm. and uh, it has the green label on the valve seal yes, for the mm-hmm. tires. Nitrogen-filled tires, and yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Nitrogen-filled tires. And and I wanted to get your opinion on that. You know, it, it, we have to stay with that. No. Uh, can we use no. compressed air? In Absolutely. The I mean, Mike, uh, that basically, feel? in my opinion, that's just a scam. I mean, there are people who sell these little machines that, produce nitrogen you can put in tires and it's something to sell you you know you got to remember the regular air that you're breathing is 78 percent nitrogen already okay so you vast part of air is nitrogen the contention that the proponents of this stuff push is that well nitrogen molecules are larger than oxygen molecules so they don't leak out as much so therefore the tire pressure will stay constant then which is really hoopla I had a guy who was trying to sell me one of those machines, and he said, oh, yeah, this is going to stay in there, all those oxygen. I said, well, if all the oxygen leaks out, if I put regular air, wouldn't I have nitrogen tires anyway? Because all the oxygen is going to keep leaking out. <laughs> you know, so I'll just keep putting air in there, and nitrogen will stay in it, and I'll have nitrogen in them anyway without the machine. 
but it's just something to sell you. Just you can put regular air back in it. It's it's really no big advantage to it. You want to use dry compressed air. Yeah, it has. It needs to be dry because any moisture you put in there is going to affect the tire. Right. Well, I do have water separator yeah. and all of that on my air compressor. Yeah, that's so, good. Uh, and I guess that would suffice. Well, you know, at the shop, because we use so much air, we've got the water separators. We've got our lines sloped towards drain legs, and we've got a refrigerated air dryer. It runs right. it through a refrigerated machine, which cools it down, which drops the humidity out of it, then heats it back up for the shop use. And that's even better. But, yeah, you know, it's such a humid state. You know, when humidity is running 90%, and that's in the air, and you compress that air, the water goes into the tank with those stuff. Right. You don't want to go to, like, a gas station where they're not cleaning their air and pump that into your tire because they do have little sensors in those tires that that can affect. So, But if you got a good source of dry air, you're just as good off with that. There's really no advantage to the nitrogen except that it costs you a bunch of money. Yeah, I normally, you know, will adjust air pressure here at home at my own shop. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I've got to out on the road, you got to. Yeah, you know? absolutely. But you're talking about putting two or three pounds of air at, at, most of the time. You're not going to empty the tire and completely refill it on the road. You're, you're maybe a couple of pounds down. You're going to add a little air to it. The amount of air you add is so small that there wouldn't be an effect at all. And, I mean, worst-case scenario, if you were forced to completely inflate the tire with some moist air, you could always, when you get home, drain it out and refill it. Right. Okay. Well, that eases my mind. Thank you. Okay, Mike. All right. Thanks, man. All right. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I, we always love having you call. And it brings up such a diverse range of topics. Sure. I hadn't heard about the nitrogen and tires so much lately. I guess all the guys who bought those machines have... They're still pushing it. I see them come in. They? They, in fact, when they put nitrogen in tires, they change the valve stem caps to little yeah, green caps. green cap. So I, I see them every once in a while come through the shop. It sounds green good. Caps on it sounds good. It sounds like something to buy. But if you go on my website, I've got two articles on that topic uh-huh. that goes into detail on that. And, you know, they'll say, well, we put 100% nitrogen. There's no now, way. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> There's no atmospheric way. Atmospheric pressure is what? About around 20 PSI. Uh-huh. So you're going to always have atmospheric pressure in the tire right. unless you completely take, I put mean. It, you have to put, put it in a vacuum. You have to put a vacuum on it, which would suck the tire off the rim. Or put it in a vacuum box and yeah. pull. You'd have to go into a vacuum chamber, break right. the tire down, get all the oxygen. Completely, yeah. yeah. And then pump in from a secured line from the outside. It's just breathing air is what? 80 percent nitrogen anyway something yeah so it's just one of those things that a lot of these places come up with to say you know they don't make a lot of money on tires so they do all the little upsells right which are all the old stuff they sell you with the tire you know quote your tire for 50 bucks and you get get four of them but it's 600 dollars four tires right wait a minute they're 50 each i got four (laughs) that should be 200 oh no no it's 600 right (laughs) well we got the nitrogen in the tires we got the road hazard warranty we got da 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 and it's just a way for them to make more money. Sure. They baiting you in with low price tire because they know people chop shop prior, you know, tire yeah. prices. Right. And then they make it up on all this crud all that they end up stuff, adding yeah. onto it. So yeah, just save your money, put air in the tires, keep them inflated to the proper pressure, and you're not gonna have any problem with yep. that. Anyway, we were talking just a little bit about fluids that disappear, and we talked about master cylinders and all that kind of thing, mm-hmm. and. I had one guy, I told him, well, the master cylinder is leaking. He says, well, it can't be because my pedal's not dropping. Right. And that is one symptom of a master cylinder. If it is bypassing internally, the pedal may slowly sink to the floor or may not. Right. But it can also leak out the back and the pedal will not sink because you still got the front cylinder, which is pumping up hard, which will keep the pedal up. 
And at one time, years ago, that when a pedal slow, slowly sunk to the floor, that was automatic mouse song. Sure. Easy sure. peasy. That, that was, it was a no questions. That was the only component in the system that could cause that symptom. Right. But on today's cars, they have uh, anti-lock brake valves. Mm-hmm. I had, well, they, it, when I first started noticing it, was on the mid ninety Chevy trucks with the dual right. with the rear wheel the Kelsey Hayes two right. wall system. And that system, those valves would start leaking and it felt just like a master cylinder leaking. Well the fluid would leak from the pressure side to the little accumulator side. It would you wouldn't lose Sorry. it. The and accumulator it would, would compress. Right. And then accumulator would just push it back in the system so you really wouldn't lose any fluid, but your pedal would sink. Right. And as the systems have gotten more and more complex, it's gotten harder and harder and harder to diagnose that problem. And where we see it so much today is someone will come into the shop, they've already replaced the master cylinder, and the right. pedal's still, still going, going to the down. floor. And that's where we have to go in and do some more advanced diagnostics. And the best way to diagnose that problem is to go in and block the master cylinder off. The only way to, block, it. The only way to isolate the master cylinder is to disconnect the lines from it and plug the lines at the master cylinder, right. which is a last resort test. Right. It's not something that you want to go in and do first. Well, it's fairly labor-intensive. For one thing, you've got to break all the lines. you have to re-bleed the brakes with the plugs in there. Then when you get through, you have to put the lines back on, bleed then, the brakes again. Right. Plus, it takes a collection of probably a 1,000 or more different size right. block-off plugs because every single <laughs> every car and different. every single model is different. Yep. The, the way they seal, the flare, the double flare, the bubble flare, the threads, metric, standard, size, 125, size 150 threads. pitch, 10 pitch, on and on and on and on and on and on. And even the two lines may be different sizes sure. and different styles. So, and that's pretty common, actually, because they don't want the lines crossed into, different, into each other, into the holes. Right. Either one. And the only time it really becomes a problem is when you go to test for this pedal dropping off you need to isolate the master cylinder from the system yep i know we've got a collection we have accumulated over the years some of them bought some of them shop made some of them we had to make right probably got four or five hundred of them in there and we don't have nearby no. all of them no i don't have all of them but we've got enough to where we can generally get by and the ones we don't have we can generally make up in right. the shop because that kind of stuff it's not like you can go buy an assortment somewhere right very mm-hmm. easily anyway you have to buy them for each individual car so well, first thing you got to do is figure out what size it is right and then you got to start looking around and try to find those and being the parts house that we use they have a vast amount of those fittings mm-hmm. that we can either make up or the fittings that are already made into plugs well and a lot of times we'll just get the line cut the line pull it out braze the hole up right and you can and make makes a, plug a plug that way and that works pretty well but if you block the master cylinder off pedal comes up rock hard then you know the master not good. falling then you know it's downstream and the so only- a few other little tests and you can isolate it down to the abs unit right and that's something you can't guess at because some of those abs units now are twenty five hundred dollars three thousand dollars so yeah something you gotta know hey we're gonna take one more quick little break be right back with a whole lot more Gotta run, Paul. I'm heading to Agco for my car's general inspection. I take it in once a year so the team at Agco can catch any potential problems early. And they remind me of important upcoming maintenance. Things like oil changes, changing my timing belt, tire wear. Yeah, a general inspection each year would be a great thing for my marriage. 
Paul, thanks for bringing Marie in for her general inspection. Overall, she's in great shape. I did dial back her shopping system to save you a little money, and her nag button was stuck, so I loosened that up so you can work on your golf game and not those honeydews. As far as preventive maintenance, you've got a big anniversary coming up in April, so put that on your calendar. And I'd suggest flowers for no reason and more compliments. And Agco saved me thousands of dollars. Paul? Paul, are you listening? Oh, oh, yeah, sorry. Sounds like I need to take Marie, I mean my car, into Agco for a general inspection. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. You just joined us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alexander, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, we appreciate you spending Saturday morning with us. If you get the time and the inclination, why don't you give us a call? Our number is 291-6901. We always appreciate hearing from folks. And we've got Josh online. Good morning, Josh. Hey, how you doing? Doing great, Good. sir. Yeah, I had a, a 2013 Yukon that I took down to y'all shop, actually, mm-hmm. and you got me all fixed up. It Good had, deal. had the V8, you know, the system on that GMC. That Displacement on demand. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. right. Right, right, right. So knowing that system fails, I was kind of looking at the uh, on the Internet, and they've got these sensors that I guess they're, electronic device you can plug in your obd2 mm-hmm. that overrides that what do you think about those i don't know i wouldn't do it because okay well number one they're illegal and what it'll okay. do is it will tell you this is for off-road use and that's how they get by the legality of it but they can uh-huh. complicate all kinds it's not a bad system i know you had trouble with yours but we really don't see a tremendous amount of trouble with those josh the biggest thing is changing the oil fairly regular and using the correct oil in the vehicle and the correct filter yeah and the correct filter that engine requires an oil that meets dexos standards and a lot of time if you just go to like all change places they'll put regular oil in it that caused a lot of those problems and if you follow gm's recommendations it'll go about a hundred thousand miles which if i remember right yours had around a hundred thousand miles on yeah. it yeah and right, then you right. can start having these problems because you're following their recommendations. And nothing. Again, that's a pretty expensive repair, as you well know. A lot of people, when they get a big expensive repair, they want to go trade the car and get another car. And that kind of falls right in the GM's plans. So, I mean, you got to look at the way you drive the car. If your average trip is short, like you get in the car, you drive three, four, five miles or less at a time, then you need to be changing all close to, to 3,000 miles. GM will tell you you can go five, six, seven, eight, ten, whatever. And if you want to have a major repair at 100,000 miles, yes, you can. But most of those problems we see are all change related. So, again, I wouldn't be too concerned with the system. I would change my oil a little more often. I make sure they're using the right oil and the right filter. The, the best filter is the GM Delco filter. And I think when we did yours, we changed your oil and filter, put the right oil yep. and put the right filter. Right. So, just kind of watch who's changing the oil in it. Make sure they're doing it properly. And I mean, I think you'll get tired of looking at that truck before you ever have that problem again. And you know, you did the okay. right you did the right thing by getting it checked because if you'd let that go, you'd end up wiping the motor out. Yeah, it can it can yeah. tear the motor up. But people tend to overreact a lot of times. They have a problem, so they're looking for a solution, and they go totally overboard. It's really a pretty decent setup. It does save fuel, and like I said, it really doesn't give much problems. And most all the problems are going to be maintenance related. And it's unfortunate, but if you follow GM's recommendations, you will have problems. Yep. You know? All right. Cool. Well, thanks for the advice. All right, All right, right guys. Sir. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Appreciate it. All right. 291-6901. If you got a problem or a question or a comment, you give us a call. We'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. And should you miss your prime opportunity today to get a live answer, you mm-hmm. can always visit our website, get your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. 
There's a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, and the little form's going to pop up. Mm-hmm. Fill out the little form with your problem, and... Send it on in. There you go. And when you hit that send button, you'll see a little post-it note pop-up says, thank you for sending this in. If for some reason you don't see that, then you didn't hit the send button. Okay. You, some people will hit the clear button by mistake or hit the back button. Gotcha. And they don't send it. And they say, well, I didn't get an answer. Well, you never sent it because okay. an email server is not going to lose mail. I never ignore mail. So you will get an answer from me within 24 hours every time. So if you hadn't gotten an answer, make sure, number one, you did send it, and number two – that you put the right email address on there because if you put an error in that email address, I can't respond to right, it. Right, it just bounces it's back. It's going to bounce right back. So we're going back to our phone line. Caleb? Good morning, guys. Good morning. Good morning. I've got a 2017 Chevy Silverado 1500 uh-huh. and uh, it was 16,000 miles. And the other day, my check engine light started flashing. And, and trust me, I know everything that's on the internet is true. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Hearing that that's a misfire, but my light's not on now. Just wanted, I mean, I know it's under warranty. Do I need to take yes. it in? Or? Yes, you do. Uh, Caleb, on a 17, that data will be logged along with a freeze frame. So not only will they be able to see the code, but they'll be able to see every sensor on the engine when it occurred. So they can diagnose that relatively easy. A misfire, the reason light flashes is because it's very dangerous. When the engine misfires, a charge of fuel from the injector goes through the exhaust, which can knock the catalytic converter out which is very, very, very expensive. So you don't want to let a little intermittent misfire weaken that converter, and then when you get to 80,000 miles, the converter fails, and you got no warranty, and you end up with a $2,000 repair bill. So you need to hold their feet to the fire. This is not like the 1980 model cars where you would get a you know, a, a check in your light for no reason. On a 17, right. if you got a light, there's a problem. Yeah. It's reading a misfire, right. and it will record right. the cylinder that missed, the conditions under which it missed, I mean, they'll know how fast you were driving, they'll know how much load the engine was under. How long the engine had been running. How I long mean, it we been can, running. We can go on as fuel a, trim. Right, there's a list. All that will be stored. So it should be relatively easy for them to fix that, find and fix right. that. But, yeah, I would definitely right. bring that in, even though the light's off now, because it's not going to go away. It's going to come back. If something is right. moving off spec. And sometimes it could be like our last caller, the displacement on demand could be going bad. And it may only show up intermittently right now, but once it gets out of warranty, that starts showing up all the time. Well, that's about a $2,500 repair. So right. you need that checked while you're still under warranty. So I'd, I'd get that right. in as quick as I could, and I'd hold their feet to the fire. I, I wouldn't want to hear, well, it's nothing. I want to know why, right. why right. it came on and what are you going to do to fix it. Right. Well, that's why I trust you guys. I appreciate that. All right, Caleb. Thank you. Thank all you, right. sir. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. You know, there used to be years ago when check engine lights first came out, they were pretty rudimentary. Right. And occasionally you might have gotten a false light for some reason. But, yeah, but we're talking about 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, any modern car, if that light comes on, it is an issue. Yep. If it goes off, does not mean the problem is resolved. It just means it's not testing for that at this time. Right. For instance, take a misfire. It may only occur under a heavy load. So if you were going up the bridge and you accelerate it, that engine is under maximum – that's when it starts to misfire. Sure. Drive on level ground or don't accelerate as hard, you may not see it. So if it goes through two or three key cycles without misfiring, the light will go off. The data is still there. You can still find it, and you can still figure out what's going on sure. with it. That's the advantage to the newer cars. The technology, we talk a lot about how expensive it is to maintain it all, and it can be a drawback, but it's also real good in a lot of ways. Sure, because in, like you're saying, the newer cars store so much more information that we can use to, to diagnose with. Right. 
better than the older cars well did. if you can see the fuel trims at 20 percent when it occurs okay this thing's running low on fuel pressure mm-hmm. so you start checking fuel pressure you start checking these sorts of things you know kind of where you're going when you get into it because you have so much more data to work with sure let's go back to our phone lines with barry good morning barry yes sir i appreciate it i like your show thank uh, you i've got a 2016 f-350 mm-hmm. with a 67 diesel yes sir and everybody's giving me all this advice to take it in and have every, everything deleted off of it the blue def system i wouldn't do that uh Okay. All right. You know, number one, that's illegal. If you do that, you got an illegal vehicle. And if you look at the systems that do that, they always say for off-road use. And that's how they get around the law. They're skirting the law. But when you go to sell the vehicle, number one, no dealer is going to touch it if any of that's been done. Because they're subject to a $10,000 fine if they try to sell that vehicle that doesn't meet EPA standards. So, I mean, all that stuff is on there for a reason. We all, I mean, I'm not a tree hugger by nature but i don't think you should run rough shot over the environment either it's all on there for a reason sometimes it is a little bit of a pain but you know you're not going to gain enough for all you're going to lose by deleting it all it's just when you get ready to put it back you got to pay somebody to put it all back on there before you can sell the vehicle and i just don't feel like you gain enough by deleting all that i've seen it done both ways i think if you just leave it on there maintain the truck properly you'll probably get tired of looking at that truck before you have any engine problems i mean it's Ford and, got, did a pretty good job on that engine. Well, and, and unless you're out on the mileage, you're still under factory warranty on that truck. Yeah, you and probably, if you probably got a 100,000 mile warranty. As soon as you touch, put a chip in it or delete the right. EGR or any of that, you just They're voided your warranty. warranty. All right, well, good advice. I appreciate it. And I'm uh, just going to keep using synthetic wall and, there you go. and keep it forever. Yeah, there, there you go. go. Good idea. All right, thank you. All right, yes, thanks, sir. Barry. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. And, you know, that's two calls in a row. Right. And I get it. In America, the way we tend to think about things, if something's good, more's got to be better. Mm-hmm. But it's not. There's a right amount. And because you have a certain problem, does not mean you have to go start modifying the vehicle. Well, and You need to fix the problem and fix the symptom which caused the problem. Exactly. And if that system could have been left off that vehicle, believe me, GM would have left it off. They did not spend money putting this on there unless it absolutely had to. And more and more on the newer vehicles, because everything is class two serial data, it's all talking together. You start deleting things, you are going to cause a sure. world of problems. So then you got to go in and reprogram the computer. Now you've voided all your warranties and everything else, not to mention what other problems you may be creating. Sure. So best just to buy the vehicle you want, maintain and, it properly, and enjoy it. Sure. The modifications <laughs> are kind of a thing of the past these yeah. days. Let's go back to our phone lines with Lance. Good morning, Lance. Good morning. Yes, Good morning. sir. Long time listener, first time call. I oh, have a uh, 2013 Toyota mm-hmm. Camry. Okay. 169 and some change on the mileage. Haven't had one iota of a problem other than around 100,000 miles. I started to get some hesitation, and uh, the hesitation is when I accelerate, and I'm yes. not sure what that could be. I'm going to tell you, Lance, by wide margin, the most common thing, and again, you know, I'm, I'm not looking at the car i'm telling you things that i think it can be but so it's not necessarily it but the most common thing is the air flow meter starts to get dirty because no matter how good an air filter and all you use on even if you're using the toyota part and you change it real regular a certain and amount of debris gets through there and that that airflow meter has a little corona wire it's a little wire that goes across the airflow electricity flows through it and heats it up to a certain temperature now the more airflow the more it cools down so the more electricity it takes that's how the engine knows how much air is going into it now what will happen is over the years you know 169,000 miles dust and dirt starts to stick to this little wire when it does okay. it insulates it so that it's getting 
a false reading. In other words, it takes more electricity to heat it up, so it starts to lean the engine back, and that's when you get that hesitation. It's not that it's reading out of range. It's just reading in a different range. Yeah, now. it's re- it's so it's so not going to set a check engine light because it's still reading, right. and it doesn't know it's wrong. Okay. It, it doesn't yeah, know no it's wrong. Life. I've never got any, right. like, any engine life anything. Well, yeah, right. see, the computer doesn't know it's wrong because of dirty airflow meter. Right. But most okay. of the time now, Toyota says you can't clean it, you got to change it. But I'm going to tell you, I've cleaned thousands of them as long as you are very, very careful in doing it. Now, you, you can damage to. it if you're not careful, but those are pretty expensive. I want to say on Toyota, it's probably a three to $400 part. And the stuff from the parts house is not going to work. Yeah, and rebuilt ones, you got to go to Toyota to buy it. But we generally try to clean it. It doesn't fix 100% of them, but it fixes a lot of them. Okay, I'll get an appointment to come over there. Thank you so much. Okay, Lance. Thanks Thank for calling, you. man. Bye-bye. All right. All right, 291-6901. We're going to take our final little break. We'll be right back with a whole lot more. We can shop tomorrow. I'm off to Agco for my car's general inspection. I take it once a year so the team at Agco can catch any potential problems before they become huge repairs down the road. You know, things like small rattles and shakes can become issues and you never can be too... A general inspection each year would be great for my marriage. Kate, thanks for bringing David in for his general inspection. Overall, he's in pretty good shape for an older model. I replaced his sensitivity regulator, which was getting a little worn. His not listening to my partner and leave the seat up lights were both about to come on, so I fixed that. As far as preventive maintenance, more fiber, less beer, and watch his portion control, especially on the weekends. And thank goodness for Agco. Kate? Kate, are you listening? Yeah, yeah, sorry. Sounds like a general inspection from Agco can improve my marriage. I I mean vehicle. Uh, Improve my vehicle. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersand, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between tools, we'll answer any automotive questions you may have. Go ahead and give us a call. And we're going to our phone lines. We've got Gary's been patiently holding. Good morning, Gary. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I got an 09 Avalanche, mm-hmm. and the ABS light was coming on. Yes, sir. I brought mm-hmm. it in. They changed my speed sensor. Okay. Come to find out, they put the old one back on because it didn't fix the problem. Okay. They're thinking it could be either the computer or broke wires. Yes, right yes, sir. Exactly. What happens is it'll set a speed sensor circuit code, and a lot of people will automatically assume that means the sensor and they'll change the sensor now it sounds like you're dealing with a really decent guy if he put the old one back and didn't charge you for it because that's Correct. it was just a mistake and if he doesn't have a good deal of tooling and a good deal of experience with the system it's really hard for him to isolate that out but as he told you it could be the wire itself we've seen a lot of connectors will get corroded up and it could be the computer itself is just not seeing the sensor now the problem is if it's intermittent and there's it only occurs every once in a while exactly Yep. It's going to be almost impossible to find because, let's say, it's a loose connection, but right now it's making a good connection. Well, you can right. t- test that till the cows come home, and it's just going to say it's good. I mean, the best you can do is get in there, shake all the wires, and hope that you, can, you can turn the light catch on. the one to make the light come on. The other thing you could do, it's probably more likely the connector than it is the computer. The connectors are not terribly expensive. You might ask if he would just replace the connector for you, but you got to understand if he does that, it doesn't fix it. It's on you. You know, right. it was a gamble. Right. You roll yeah. the dice, but that's probably a relatively inexpensive repair 
with a pretty good chance of fixing. I know I've changed a lot of those connectors and fixed the problem. Now, we have seen a few of the computers go out, but again, that's much more expensive. That's not something you'd want to gamble at. So if you gamble the connector, you change it, and it doesn't fix it, then more likely you are into the computer. You can almost have to wait till it gets a little more consistent where you can catch it doing it. Okay, that sounds like a good idea. Just change the end. That'd be yeah, that's relatively inexpensive. And like I said, sometimes it you just got to roll the dice. It does fix a good bit of them. Do they sell an aftermarket computer? No, mm-hmm. no. They're gonna sell a remanufactured computer. Remanufactured. Now there are after, after yeah, everything's gonna be rebuilt. They don't. The only way to get a new computer these days is to buy a new car. Everything's if you buy it from Chevy dealer, you're gonna get a rebuilt computer. But that right. chassis control module is not terribly expensive. It's probably a few hundred dollars, but it's not thousands or anything. Oh, good. Okay. All righty. Perfect, man. Look, I wanted to thank y'all, man. I had the problem with my door lock. Uh-huh. crazy on me uh-huh. on that avalanche. Okay. And you had told me to change my battery. Mm-hmm. The battery terminals uh-huh. were the wires. Yes, sir. And I believe that 60 amp breaker in there, and that seemed to solve the problem. Well, very good. Fixed it. Yeah, that fixes quite a bit of them. Yeah. Thank you for your oh. help, sir. Okay, Gary. Right. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Right back to the phone lines with CJ. Good morning, CJ. Good morning. How are you, fellas? Doing today? great, Doing sir. Great. Look, I have a 2001 Dodge Durango. Mm-hmm. It has a little over 200,000 miles on it. Okay. The problem is is that my hub brakes, the uh, self-adjusting part of it, uh-huh. I don't think it ever did work, even when it was new. Yeah, have see, y'all been having any problems with well, that? Well, you've got to remember, that is a different braking system than you had on cars previous. And they used to have what they call dual servo brakes. And a dual servo would adjust when you backed up. On that one, you got what they call leading trailing brakes. And a leading trailing brake only adjusts when you apply the parking brake and only when you apply the parking brake properly. That means you pull up, you take your foot off the service brake, you put it in park, and then you apply the parking brake. If you do that, they will adjust. But if they're too far out of adjustment, they still won't adjust because it's just it can't contact under those conditions, what you're going to need to do is bring it to someone, have them go and do a clean lube and adjust on the rear brakes. They just take it apart, clean everything, lube it, and set the initial adjustment. Then if you start using your parking brake when you park, see, Louisiana is flat, so nobody ever uses a parking brake because the cars don't roll off. You know, if you live in San Francisco, you would never have that problem. But if you don't use that parking brake and use it properly, they're not going to adjust. Well, let me ask you this question. Back uh, then when I had uh, an older vehicle, you had to be backing up. Right actually moving yeah that's dual servo brakes totally different from what you got now now in order to do the parking brake the vehicle is not moving is that correct 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 correct. when your vehicle when you park the car what you do you put it in park you take your foot off the service brake because you got your foot on the brakes it's still not going to adjust foot off the brakes then apply the parking brake you know engineers put stuff in there and they assume everybody knows how it works but most people Mm -hmm. don't and like I said, South Louisiana, most people never use a parking brake. If they use it at all, they got the foot on the regular <laughs> brake, and so it just they don't adjust. I mean, alternatively, well, you can bring it to a shop once a year and get them adjusted. It's not a real expensive service. But if you get them clean, lubed, and adjusted, and from there on, they ought to start working. Okay, well, I appreciate the info. Look, I appreciate, you have a lovely program. I, I listen to it every weekend. Well, perfect. And uh, I've learned a lot from your program, so just well, keep up the good work. Well, good. Thank, Thank you. you for calling. You are. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, we got time to squeeze one more in. We've got Paul line. Paul, can you make it quick? Yeah, I've got a 2015 Ultima, mm-hmm. and I've got 80,000 miles because I do Uber and Lyft. What extra service can I do to help it last longer? Well, just the normal service on it, Paul. But if you're doing a lot of miles, 
you, you got to remember those are ideal conditions. If the car runs long periods of time, so it's going to hold up a whole lot better than a car that's doing stop and go short trips. But I mean, I would just do all the normal services, transmission service. Don't overlook that because your transmission is shifting an awful lot. And I would probably be doing that every fifty thousand miles, even though you know the, the manual may tell you, you can go a hundred. I would do that at fifty thousand miles. The coolant every three years, that's the antifreeze, because it becomes corrosive and it will eat the cooling system up, which is going to be a huge repair. I would be changing my oil on a fairly regular basis using probably a synthetic oil because of the hard conditions, also using a Nissan oil filter. And beyond that, just bring it in maybe once a year, have a general inspection done at a good qualified shop where they can tell you if anything is getting overlooked. How much do you guys charge for that? It's a one-hour service, so at our shop it's $105. Okay. All righty. Thank you. Thanks, Carl, man. Bye-bye. All right. We have squandered another perfectly good hour. That we have. (laughs) (laughs) We got to start riding on up, get ready to get on out here. Tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, find a written review, and fill it out for us. That's right. You fill out that written review. It's going to move us up in the rankings so that when someone types in all repair, our show comes up close to the top of the list so more people listen. More people listen, the longer we can do the show. That's it. And we sure appreciate <laughs> it as well. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.